church, welcome to all of you online. You know, I notice every week that there's folks watching from Europe and Vietnam and things. And so welcome, uh, wh whoever you are out there. And welcome to all of you here at the BMI. It's so lovely to see you here this morning. Um, we are going to be celebrating uh, communion this first Sunday of April. So make sure online at home that you get your elements together. And, and listen, if it's, if it's crackers and water, that'll do. Um, but uh, get those, get those uh, elements ready now. Uh, and I'd like all of you too, before we start, to make sure that your Bibles are open at home and open here to uh, John 17. And we're gonna focus in this finale of our beloved community series on the final verses of his farewell discourses um, to uh, verses 20 to 26 in John 17. So just have that open in your phones or in your Bibles uh, this morning. In our finale this morning, we are going to listen in church for the final prayer of Jesus to, his, to all who will follow him. Uh, listen to verse 20. You'll see it at home. But he says this as he begins this final prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. He means not just for these 11 disciples in the upper room. My prayer is for those who will believe in me through their message. This is us, church. Somebody say, this is us. So here Jesus is going to draw very close connections between himself uh, and the God the Father and then draw those same connections among those who believe. And it can actually sound a bit messy at times and a bit muddled. But if you were singing these two songs this morning that we began with, you realize that it really does get jumbled. Oneness gets jumbled when you put things together. And, and his prayer sounding jumbled, but it's no surprise, right? Because connections among believers are often jumbled, aren't they, Javon? They get messy at times. We don't always know what we're doing. Jesus' final prayer here makes much of unity, and I am going to be working from the title this morning, The Way of Unity. And listen, his concern for the harmony of his followers is his greatest burden as his earthly ministry draws to a close. And he prays not only that we may all be one, but that we may be completely one. He really raises the bar. And I know this, often people will trot this passage out in appeals for Christians to behave better or to cooperate with one another more fully. Uh, almost as if Jesus gets embarrassed when his family members air their grievances and disagreements in front of others. And no doubt, Grace City, that harmonious relationships are a good thing in the church, but his prayer really touches a more foundational issue. The oneness that Jesus seeks for his followers expresses a more primary goal, Bob, and here it is. The goal here is union with God. Union with God. That's right. Just when you begin to think that Christianity is about consenting to a list of doctrines or endorsing a particular social program, Jesus holds out a stunning um, promise in this text that Susanna just read. We're not only to live in unity on earth, we can actually participate in God's divine unity. So let's pray for open hearts this morning and be determined in our prayer to become better, more grown-up agents of his unity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that you are in our midst and that you and the Father and the Holy Spirit have modeled for us on earth what unity is meant to look like in the family of God. And Father, I pray that you will grow us this morning beyond our wildest expectations. Grow us into a body that is unified in a way that the world will sit up and take notice and say, I want, I want to get a piece of that. In this divided world, Lord, we want to be agents of your divine unity. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, church, it's great to see you. There are two characteristics that we're going to break down this morning in this prayer that are rooted in heaven. And I can't emphasize that enough. These characteristics are not about us. In our, on our own um, recognizance, we don't have the capacity to do these things. And you see it throughout the world. These are divine elements rooted in the unity of the family of God. We're going to talk about the unity of the family of God, and then we're going to talk about our unity in the assignment of God. But first, let's get into the unity in the family of God, and this is verses 21 to 23. 21 to 23, and you'll see it on your screen at home. The possibility, church, of our union with God is no minor theme in the entire Gospel of John. It's actually what the entire book is about. His overall message is that Jesus can plunge us, plunge us into the depths of God's family life. It begins in chapter 1 of John, that to those who believed, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. That's the right that we have when we follow Christ. That's in verse 12 of chapter 1. In this prayer, in chapter 20, Jesus relates now the unity of the church the beloved community that we've been talking about for 12 weeks. Can you believe we've had 12 weeks in three chapters? But the unity of the church, he relates it to the unity of God in the Holy Trinity. God's family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That first song we sang this morning, Make Us One, it just went back and forth with interweaving themes. And it's actually a brilliantly written song because it changes up with its bridges and its links and the melodies change and interact. And that's what this prayer does too. It's actually quite complex, but it's all about the unity of God. So don't be afraid as we get into this morning. We are talking about high theology, but at its very core... Jesus is talking about family. This is about family. Because church here, family is God's authorized visual aid for unity, for the unity of Christ's followers. So let's say family. Somebody say family. Now the three persons of the Trinity, they're not identical, but they bear family likeness. This is why we, we name them interchangeably. Even in these songs we just sang, sometimes it's talking about Jesus. Sometimes it's praying to the Holy Spirit come. Sometimes it's Father bless us. We interchange these names because it's all part of the same family. And it's appropriate to do that because they're family. We try to get real specific with, well, here we pray the Spirit. Here we pray. You can relax. It's all part of the family. Because this family, this trinity, they love doing things together, don't they? And they actually love talking about each other, right, John? And, and why not? I mean, I get that in my own family. Jamon gets that. We were talking about it this morning. We're showing pictures. I can't stop talking about my kids and how brilliant they are. And I'd love to tell you about my dad and his career as a World War II pilot and then in baseball broadcasting after that with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I love to point out that my sense of humor comes from my mom and tell you about her daily mix of love and jokes and how that went down. It was fun. Most of all, I'll brag about my wife behind her back when she's not listening. But listen, so much more, so much more does the Son of God love to talk about the love of his Father. He loves to brag about the friendship and advocacy of the Holy Spirit that he is going to give us. And we've seen already in this series that our one God is a fellowship of three divine persons who live and work for each other because they love each other. So look at, uh, on your screen at home, look at, but in John 3.35, I'll just read this for you here. John 3.35 and 17.10 say a very similar thing, and I preached 17.10 last week. Here Jesus prays this, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. And then in 17, all I have is yours, Father, and all you have is mine. This is the closeness, this is the unity 
of the Trinity. It's featured. And you might be saying, and you should, what's that got to do with the church? What's that got to do with Grace City? Well, look back at verse 21 that Susanna read this morning. God's family unity relates to the church on two levels. On two levels. Now, this is going to seem a little, in, little messy, but take a look at it. In these verses, in level one, Jesus prays this. May they be one, all his followers. May they be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So in other words, church, he's praying, may the unity of the church, of the beloved community, reflect the unity, reflect the unity of the Father and the Son. That's level one. And we actually kind of settle in there and we get it. We sort of, yeah, okay, we should reflect that. We're not very good at it, but we should reflect it. But watch this. Read on in this verse. May they also, he says, be in us. Prepositions, as you know, if you've been part of Grace City, prepositions in the scripture are very significant. May they also be in us. In other words, it's not only about reflecting the life of the Trinity. Jesus is saying we can and must actually take part in it. Are you with me? This is where it gets divine. This is where it gets heavenly. This is where it's out of our capacity and into heaven's capacity. The renowned theologian Leslie Newbigin expresses these two levels brilliantly in one sentence. He says it this way. This is a unity which not merely reflects, but actually participates in the unity of God. That's good news. This is in his hands. This is accessible. So Jesus' prayer here for future unity of his followers is not only practical. It is certainly that, but it is also supernatural. And we need to take, put those clothes on. It is nothing less than participation in the life of God's family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're part of that, children of God. And Grace City, that in turn, that in turn means having an open and generous attitude toward other believers. Somebody say generous. Yeah, we weren't good at that one. Someone say generous better. We're not very good at this part. Now, you say, well, why, why does this mean that, Bob? Here's why. Because God, when he purposed to include you and me and, and, and all of us, when he purposed to include us in his family, he did it while we were what? While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, he purposed to include us in his family. And this characteristic church of God's family creates the space then for unity to occur, because if he could do it, if he could include me in it, he can include you in it. Can you say that about yourself? This creates the space for generosity. Heaven is marked in unity by its generosity, first of all. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So as the cross looms over this prayer, it's coming the very next day. These are his final words in the upper room. It's off to the cross after this. As the cross looms over his prayer for our unity, our participation church in God's family requires relationships in which power is not exercised over others for its own advantage. Let me tell you why. This is, I'm not making this up. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 5 and 6. He says this, just listen. In your relationships, look around the room, just look around the room, make your head swivel around the room. In these relationships... And beyond in the global church, in your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he describes what that looks like. Who, by being in the very nature of God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. We can't power over people. This requires generosity. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus has long been the biggest challenge of my life. That is, you can wake up with that and live a different life that day. Grace City, our participation, therefore, in the unity of God's family requires my openness to encountering the beautiful, the important, the valuable outside of myself. It's beautiful out there. So how can we express our union with God in our relationships on earth? Some assume that it comes to to adhering to tried and true practices and traditions and doctrines. But historically, church, mostly we grow into God's challenge of unity through opening ourselves to what or who is different. This is why we spent this entire last year doing things like flavor groups. Do you remember the flavor groups where we would get folks across racial and gender lines, but primarily racial, and we would, we would put them together in the room and we would go after what divides us until we could be unified. And we'll keep doing those flavor groups. This has particular relevance for our time in this world, doesn't it? As we struggled to figure out what makes for safe spaces. But I'll quote Kathy Tuan McLean of our congregation here too. Perhaps, church, in light of the cross, more than we need safe spaces, we need to establish brave spaces. Can you take that on as a challenge? Brave spaces where we're willing to enter in and cross the lines that the world says ought to divide us. That's good news too. I mean, you have to consider in this the capacity of our world to etch fear and insecurity and distrust into our collective psyche. It's working on us all the time. We're fearful people. We're anxious people. More and more, we regard strangers or any difference as potential threats. And if we settle into the world's default on this, we will always pay a spiritual price. Because participating in God's family requires us to connect with others, including strangers, with generous openness, just as he offered me and you and you. In the same way, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Church, the unity of heaven has less to do with uniformity and much more to do with uniqueness. But here is where anxiety is our greatest enemy. Anxiety is the serial killer of human maturity. We'd rather have the comfort of familiarity and sameness But in God's economy, in God's economy, that's almost never what makes this church remarkable. Sameness doesn't make the church remarkable. That's just like everybody else. What makes the church remarkable is a combination of its internal synergy and and its imbalance. It's imbalance. When followers of Christ manage to bridge the lines that consistently divide the world... That's when the church church is worth talking about. That's when people wake up. That's what got me interested at 14 years old in in Christ. It was because I saw people black and white and different and doing different things in service together. And I said, I want to be part of that. That's got to be something higher and better and worth striving for than the world that I'm knowing, even at 14. And it's something when the church is hard to is doing things that are hard to find elsewhere. People are drawn to the church, I think. Does that make sense? Now, I'm so grateful that a specialty of the Holy Spirit, Jamon, is unity. That's his specialty. And church, he works 
continually among us to grow us up to be mature participants in the unity of God's family. And I just challenge us this morning, let him have his way. This is a supernatural dimension of unity. It's not something you can do on your own, but let him have his way. And it leads to our second dimension of unity as Jesus prays for this, unity in the assignment of God, in the assignment of God. Take a look at verses 22 and 23. He says this, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Now, we've talked about glory the last two weeks. I'm going to talk about it again. I've given them, meaning you and me, I've given them the glory that you gave me, Father. See how, how muddled this gets? It's cool, so cool. So that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me. Now, remember, glory is different in God's family. It's different in heaven's economy, and therefore, it's different in the beloved community. In the world, of course, glory happens when success happens. Glory is when the crowd cheers you on. That's glory, and we get that. But not in heaven. In John 17, 4, Jesus tells us, I'm going to remind you again, in 17, 4, he tells us that glory actually refers to finishing his assignment. And he's about to finish his assignment. That's what he's going to finish on the cross in just a few hours when he says, it is finished. And this is the same glory that he's given to us to carry on his assignment from the Father. Here's a way to help us understand this. Last week, we looked at glory through Paul's metaphor of weight. We talked about the weight of glory and how when you're, when you're in life, it's kind of like a seesaw. And when you're in life on your own and the burdens of life, and, and in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said it. When you're just alone with your burdens on the seesaw, you're just stuck. You're on the ground. You're at a low point. The weight of glory, the weight of, God's, of, of Jesus' assignment, the weight of the cross, the weight of finishing the divine assignment, is, that's what actually what lifts us up. You remember? There's another connotation to light here that is in view, and it, it's the connotation of glory that has to do with light. That's what's in view here. When Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, he is staking the very vision and future of the church on handing to you and me the same assignment that he's been about in his time on earth. And John, in his gospel, says this is his light that has put out the darkness. Put out the darkness. Remember in, in Matthew 5, Jesus teaches this. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. And what? So that and, and when they see your good works, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is about light. So you notice here, when you let your light shine, you're giving glory to God. St. Irenaeus said it this way, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. Or the great songwriter who wrote it this way, this little light of mine, I'm going to what? I'm going to let it shine. Glory to God. So in verse 22, when Jesus says he has given us the same glory that he received from the Father, this embeds us, church, in a mission that originates now for us at the cross. In, in this time that, it's, that he's praying, it's tomorrow. And it, even more to the point, it's a mission that demands unity. This is Jesus' conclusion in verse 23. When we are completely one in his mission, letting our light shine for the glory of God, he says it this way, then the world will know what? The world will know you've sent me and have loved them isn't even as you've loved me. This is the glory that he passes on to us to let our light shine so that they may know. Great City, all of our titles in this series have included uh, the beginning of the way, way to, way, to way of peace, way of glory, way of trouble, way of the spirit, way of being sent last week, and, and so forth. 
And here's why we did this. Finding our way, getting the job done, changing our minds, bridging divides, these are forms of wayfinding. One word, wayfinding. We're surrounded in our world by instruction manuals and videos and maps and all sorts of other forms of direction. But here's the, here's the point. Maps, the map might be correct, but that doesn't mean it helps. Directions we get might be plentiful, but that doesn't mean they're going to be effective. A map only works if it helps. So Grace City, wayfinding in God's kingdom is a very unique process. Our preferred map, our internal picture of, of a kingdom where everyone looks and thinks like me and, and we're all kind of the same, it doesn't match the way the kingdom is actually built. That's not the map of God's kingdom. We would like it to be that. It would take away an awful lot of issues. But it's a map that doesn't help, and we've got to get rid of it. If our job is to help others find the way to God's family, we need to grow our capacity to be helpers toward that. And Jesus prays it for us this morning. He's praying that we'll be, become grown-up helpers, that our display of genuine unity will be a compelling witness to the truth of the gospel and show others who don't know Christ, show them the way. So here's what we learned. One thing we learned this morning, evangelism, evangelism is a proclamation of the church's relationships as well as its convictions. Let me say it again. Evangelism is a product of the church's relationships as well as its convictions. And you could illustrate this as easily as I could with a series of negative examples on how, the, how people have rejected the gospel because of the disunity of the church, right? Everybody have a story for that? We know that. Let me illustrate it another way for you. And it has to do with why I love this church so much, Jamon. I believe that when folks see Grace City's mission and its mission alongside so many other churches here in the city, our mission for unity across the lines that divide us to reconcile people not only to God, but to reconcile to one another, that, that people will see God's capacity and the Spirit's capacity to repair our brokenness. We see it in our flavor groups, don't we, Bob? We see it in our Zoom conversations around big issues. We see it in the missions that we've subscribed to. We see it in the co-pastor model that we've had for 13 years. We see it in, in We Are Us when groups from all over the city come together walking four times a week in the hardest neighborhoods of Baltimore. We see it in Araminta and, and getting into the issues around domestic minor sex trafficking. We see it especially in the friendships of people around this church who are totally unlike one another. We see it when Republicans and Democrats serve together in this church and not only serve together, but are biggest fans of one another. And the, church, and the world looks at that and says, I think I want, I want a piece of that in this brokenness. I want a piece of that. I think the biggest barriers to effective evangelism, according to this prayer of Jesus, are not so much outdated methods or inadequate presentations of the gospel. I think the biggest barriers are things like realities like gossip and jealousy, and backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, the root of bitterness, as Scripture says, a failure to appreciate others who are not like us, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, every other form of lovelessness that you can name, those are the barriers to evangelism. If we Christ followers are to take our assignment seriously, church, we have to authentically and continually seek unity in the church in order to maintain 
an authentic witness to those who don't know the name of Jesus. It will make all the difference. So Jesus prays we would be united first in the family of God, secondly in our assignment from God. And these two prayers, I want to just emphasize it again, these two prayers are rooted in heaven, in heaven alone. Don't, don't think you've got to try harder. I would prefer that we surrender to it. It's a whole different dynamic. In Grace City, if you're tempted to think that being heavenly-minded like this, these heaven-minded characteristics of a, of a Christ follower make a, makes a person less useful for the realities and the divisions of this life, I want to posit that the exact opposite is true. Because the person who knows that their place in God's family is glorious and certain, that's when we are free to live out the most radical, generous life of love and sacrifice on earth, I think. Here's what I mean. If, if somebody falls out, many of you know that um, in my 50s, I, I, I jumped out of airplanes about 50 times. It was just kind of my midlife crisis, and I, I love doing it. And, uh, uh, and took my kids and, you know, the whole thing. Anyway, but, but here's a story that resonates with me. If someone falls out of an airplane, Jamon, and you don't have a parachute on, you're not going to jump out after them, Bob, right? Because it would be worthless. But if you have a parachute on, you just might try one of those dramatic rescues where you, you see them go and you go, I'm going for it. And you dive out and you dive like a bullet and you catch up to them and you wrap your arms around them and you pull your own cord and you hope you can hold on when the jerk of the chute opening comes. And why? Because you got a parachute. Because you, you have a, a sense of, of safety at the end. And it's the hope of safety in the end that, 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 that releases relentless and sacrificial love now. And if we know that our place in God's family, that he brought us in while we were enemies, while we were yet sinners, and our job is to do the same and wrap our arms around a world that is so different than me, I don't know what to make of it, but dog, I'm going to dive out of the airplane and go get him. That's what releases us to do it. Here's what Jesus is telling me this morning. I need other people. I need other. Somebody say, I need other people. I hope you mean it. And, and I do. And if I want to plunge into the heart of God's family and experience what he is about, I don't just need people who look and think like me. If I make self-protection my, my greatest value, it just makes it harder to love. It's just not about self-protection anymore. And if I make it about that, at least it makes it harder to love those who are least like me, right? Or most different. Love in this prayer requires me to attend to a wider group because, doggone it, I was wide. Jesus, Jesus had to come get me, right? He had to come get you. It's there, there in the wider group, church, where we get a glimpse of God's wideness. How big is your God? J.B. Phillips wrote a book a long time ago. The title is the best part of the book. I think he would have said that. Your God is too small. That's the title. Perhaps it's there, church, that we discover God's is more than we assume. God's wideness. Well, as the worship team comes up, I want to close with a question. Here's a question I'd like us all to take home with us. How do we move forward in 2022 and cooperate with this prayer of Jesus in John 17, 20 to 26? How can we cooperate with Jesus' prayer? 
Because to be sure, he's not going to force us to unite. He is not going to force us to be one. That's not his vibe. That's not his MO. He wants us to freely unite in love because we're growing up in Jesus Christ. Well, church, here's how we do it. Here's how we start. It's the cross. It's always the cross. It always comes back to the foot of the cross. And that's what we're about to celebrate in communion. This is the place where unity begins, at the cross of Jesus Christ. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus turns to his disciples for the last time in the upper room. From here, it's on to the cross. And he prays this. And he's praying this for you. So will you just close your eyes with me for a moment and let this prayer wash over you? Righteous Father, he says, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, to the disciples, to Grace City, to the global church throughout history. I've made you known. I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. Church, Jesus is not referring to his knowledge about God. He's speaking of his relationship with God. He's speaking about what they share. This relationship, do you hear it in this prayer? It radiates mutuality. It radiates a sharing of all things. And it is through this mutual commitment expressed as love that Jesus becomes present among all of the, us here this morning and goes out with us to be present in Baltimore, in a city that sorely needs this kind of unity. The very next day, Friday, he's going to die. But even then, when the first Easter Sunday dawn, dawns, he's going to go on making the Father known. Why? He says it this way. Why does he do that? In order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Church, that's the fruit of the cross right there. That's the unity of Christ in us on us, for us, and through us. And as we come to his table now, let's ask the Father for a new vision of the cross that we might be better agents of his unity, cooperate with his prayer, now and even more so in this Easter season of 2020 that begins this week. Let's pray together, uh, and then we'll sing, and then we'll have, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Take a moment. Let Jesus' prayer wash over you.